0: If you need a Bible raiser hand, if you have one, go to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. I want to uh, introduce our guest speaker today. Uh, Our guest speaker is uh, Ricardo Stewart. Ricardo is the lead pastor of Redemption Church in Tempe, Arizona, where it is uh, 85 degrees today and uh, no chance of rain. Uh, And so um, he didn't bring that weather with him today. But uh, I met Ricardo last year at an event in Arizona. I was speaking to a bunch of pastors and uh, met Ricardo there, and I immediately connected with his really warm and gracious spirit. And soon after, just learned of his great preaching gift and started watching sermons online. And, and since then, I've been blessed to have conversations with him. And I thought it would be a great idea to have him come speak at New Life at some point. And so I'm glad that day has come. Uh, Ricardo's married to Holly, who's here with him. Uh, Their two sons, Noah and Eli. Rosie and I had the the great gift of having breakfast with them yesterday and got to know them. Just a really wonderful, wonderful family. Uh, I met uh, Ricardo in Arizona. He's originally from Los Angeles. Uh, But he went to school in Arizona State University, played football there as well, uh, got a BA in elementary education, and then went on to get an MA in global urban leadership from the Bakke Graduate University in Seattle, Washington. All that to say, uh, he has never preached in New York City before. And so here he is. So we want to give him a big Queens Boulevard welcome. Get up for Ricardo as he comes up.
1: Thank you guys, I I appreciate that. First hour was was good, but not nearly as good as as that. Make sure you guys tell them that. Um, So as Rich said, um, I've been to New York plenty of times, never had an opportunity to preach here. Uh, It's been great so far to be here with you guys. It is a gift to me. I get an opportunity to preach at different churches, and usually it's churches that we've started or whatnot. There's a relationship there. Um, never at a church in which we've been able to look at from afar and love what you guys are doing and what the ministries and what God's doing through here. And so it's a gift and an honor to be able to be here with you guys. And I'd rather be in New York uh, today than Arizona, not because New York's better than Arizona, but because New York's better than Arizona. So <laughs> there's a... It's, it's, uh, it's been a good week for me and my wife and um, our two boys being here, as Rich said, our oldest son. Um, he asks a lot of questions. He's very good at seeing everything. Our youngest son, we almost lost to the city of New York because he doesn't understand you can't just run in the streets here. Uh, we went on the ferry yesterday. I thought he was going to jump off. And so as a gift to you guys, we're going to give you Eli. He's our youngest son. We trust you guys will raise him well. And uh, it's been a good seven years with him. And the rest of his, his time with you guys will be a blessing. So all right, so we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, as Rich said, and so if you have your Bibles, why don't you go meet me in Ephesians chapter 2. Um, if you don't have a Bible, you could have gotten one earlier, or you have an app or something, or the, the scriptures are going to be on the screen for us this morning. So just to lay out where we're going before I'll pray and, and uh, get into God's Word is we're, we're looking at today primarily the vertical aspects or dimension of the gospel, um, the vertical and horizontal aspects of the gospel. That is, God drawing us to himself vertically, which we talk about quite a bit uh, within Christian churches, and then also horizontally, what does it look like into the lives of one another? Um, you guys have a gift of being a part of a multi-ethnic congregation. This is something I've desired to see, and um, it is, is an amazing thing. There's a part that wants to take a picture of you guys and then send it back to our church and see see, um, just from a possibility of what it, what it means. <laughs> but that would, that would not be right of me. <laughs> Uh, so, so that's what we'll be, we'll be looking at today. I need to say this. Um, and I, I told the first hour this, and, and they were still surprised by it. Um, I speak really fast. Okay? You guys have probably noticed that already, okay? And interesting enough is after the service, people were like, hey, good sermon. Man, you talk too fast. I couldn't understand what you said. How would you know it was? Okay, you're a liar. You have no idea it was good. And so, but there's a trick behind it. Speak fast enough. Say Jesus enough. You guys will enjoy it. So... I'll try to slow down, but I've been doing this now for about seven years and I have not been able to slow down. And so, God have mercy. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, we thank you so much that you are, you are good. You are more than good. Um, we thank you that you have sent your son, Jesus. And this is not just a historical moment, but Lord has absolutely everlasting effects in our lives because Jesus sent the Spirit. Lord, we pray that the Spirit will be very, very present not just in my preaching, Lord, or, but in our community, in our worshiping in you together, that Christ would be elevated. Um, God, that there would be a thickness of us understanding who you are. Would you raise our affections for the things of God and put everything else in its rightful place? God, help us to bring our whole lives to your text today, and through the text would it shape our whole lives, individually and communally. Or may me be, in response to Jesus, a blessing into this city. God, we thank you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm African-American, but I feel like I live on the hyphen, is what I like to say, the hyphen of African-American. So though though my name is Ricardo, um, I have no Latin descent. And I know in New York, that's like, you probably thought, of course he does. In Arizona, we don't have a lot of Puerto Ricans and so forth. Um, I was born in Mississippi. I lived there for two years. The way I got my name... Is, is about, could only happen in Mississippi, the best way to say it. My mom named me Ricky DeWayne, Ricky after Ricky Ricardo from the show I Love Lucy. <laughs> you might ask why, we don't know, all right. Um, my aunt at the time was about 17 years old, didn't like Ricky DeWayne, so she called up to Forest General Hospital, Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Two days after I was born, my mom was still in the hospital with me there, and she called and said, hey, this is Brenda. I'm in room such and such. Brenda's my mom's name, not my aunt's name. She goes, yeah, what would you like, ma'am? Uh, very polite in the south. What would you like, ma'am? She goes, I would like to change my son's name. Uh, over the phone, the lady said, I could just picture her going, yeah, what would you like to change it to, right? And they, she changed my name. She let my 17-year-old auntie who called from a different place in the city call to change my name. She wanted to respect the fact that my mom loved I Love Lucy, and she kept the Ricardo part, and she changed it from Ricky Dwayne to Ricardo Cushon, um Stewart. And so uh, at that time, there were no Latinos living, or if there were, there weren't very many Latinos living in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, so she did not spell Ricardo, so she spelt my name R-I-C-C-A-R-D-O, so I have two C's in my name. <laughs> so people like to say, are you Latino? And I'm like, you know what, yes, why not? Now I am. So, so we, when, when I say I'm African American, I live on the hyphen, it's that tension. Because we grew up and we moved from um, Mississippi to Los Angeles, we were in the inner city. And from the inner city, we moved to the suburbs. But you know, we still spent a lot of time in the inner city because that's where my family lived and that's where we went to church. And when I said we went to church, you guys understand, some of you guys are gonna get this. My mom used to always say, I had drug babies because she drug all of us to church, right? <laughs> And churches multiple times during the week, there was a youth choir, there was choir rehearsal, there was prayer night, there was church, there was after church. Throughout the week, you was always at church. My friends in the apartment complex that I grew up in, in the suburbs, they would say, let's play football. We played touch football. And I said, when? Sunday. And I said, I can't play football on Sunday. I got church. And they said, what about after church? I said, there's no such thing as after church. <laughs> That's Monday morning, Right. And so that, that was, that, that was my, my, my experience, but what I re- realized is when you, when you grow up in the inner city and you're pre- predominantly around um, black, and in our case, Latino, um, mainly Mexicans, and then you go to the suburbs, which is predominantly white with other ethnicities, there's just a difference. And so to my black friends, sometimes I was too white, and to my white friends, definitely I was too black, and, and to my Asian friends, they were cool with whatever we did. It was good, right? <laughs> and my Latino friends was like, at least you got a name like ours. Let's get it, Right? <laughs> But there's that tension you live in. And I would say similarly in that same tension, we have the tension of the gospel if we're going to understand the fullness of what the gospel is and what the gospel calls us, not just to become, but to be and how to act. And so when I talk about the vertical and horizontal relationship of the gospel, it gives us a perspective of understanding God through the gospel is not only reconciling us to himself in Christ Jesus, but he's also in Christ Jesus reconciling us to each other. And it has been my experience that it is very easy um, or easier at moments to get people who are from different ethnicities, different um, socioeconomic backgrounds, dare I say different political parties, can I say it, um, to be able to sit in lines together but not to actually be in circles and relationship together. And then what's often taught is you would hear things, well, we don't need to talk about those things, just preach the gospel and it will happen. But what happens is we preach the vertical gospel only without the horizontal understanding of the gospel, and we're wondering why there's a disconnect. So, a little bit about my story. I grew up, like I said, going to church. I never trusted in Jesus growing up. Not that I was completely against God, it just wasn't something that was in my life. I had a very divided home and a divided faith. A mom who loves Jesus, prays Jesus, worships Jesus, still worships Jesus. And a dad who didn't go to church. Sundays for us, church all day. Sunday for my pops, football all day. Yeah. Somebody said, like, he, he was like, that's exactly what I'm saying. I knew this dude was going to preach. <laughs> right? And so when I graduated high school, I had the opportunity to go to college. I went to college at Arizona State University, and I went there to play football. And I, mean, I, I, I want to be very clear. I went there to play football. I did not go there to go to school. Um, my first semester GPA was indicative of that. I had a .67 GPA. Okay, exactly. It's amazing, isn't it? Not many people have done that. I like to boast on that a little bit sometimes. Fortunately, by God's grace, I was able to turn it around and uh, get good grades and graduate in uh, elementary education so that I could be the one that would teach your kids. (laughs) So, So... Graduating in college, the very end of my college career, the Lord threw, um, just through a prophetic word from a lady that was in my mom's prayer group. Um, my mom would get together with these old black women. They would pray together. And there's something about when older black women and all other ethnicities <laughs> pray together, the Lord leans in. And, um, and um, this lady got a word from the Lord. She called me. She got my, my number from my mom, which I was very upset. Like, why is my mom giving this random lady my number? <laughs> I never met this lady. I don't know this lady. And you got to understand, some of you guys know, when a black woman calls you, it's like, baby, <laughs> you got to listen. You can't not say anything. And so she spoke to my life. The gospel came alive to me, or I would say I came alive in the gospel. Um, shortly after that, I sensed, whatever that was, that I wanted to do this. I wanted to be in ministry. I wanted to shepherd people. But when you want to shepherd people, or at least when I wanted to lead people, um, I heard somebody say this, this is true, is that ministry is autobiographical. That God doesn't waste any part of your story. Whatever that ministry may be for you, whether that's ministry within the context of the local church, the ministry in the marketplace, ministry at the home, or in the neighborhood, that God uses all of your story that he redeems to be able to use, um, not just for yourself, but for others. And for me, I had this experience of growing up in the inner city, growing up in the suburbs, having completely different, unique friends. And so when I got married, my wife and Holly, we got married. I didn't get married by myself. Um, <laughs> the guys who stood next to me was my friend Brandon, who's Indonesian, Tinku, who was Hindu. Uh, Josh was, was half Latino, half white. Uh, David Musa was Nigerian. And then White Ryan, because guess what he was? And that's what we called him, White Ryan. And, um, and these were my friends, and this was just my experience. So when I became a Christian, there was a desire to see this. And I just thought that that was uniquely a desire in me to be able to see this expression. But then what happens is you bring your story to the Bible, and there are certain things you begin to read, and certain things jump out at you at the Bible, in the Bible. So when I begin to read Genesis to Revelation, and don't, don't, get it, don't get it twisted. I didn't become a Christian and read Genesis all the way to Revelation. I did that later. But when I began to read, you begin to see this thing of bringing ethnicities together was not something that was unique to Ricardo Stewart's life. This was something that was unique to the life and the ministry of God in this world. That when you read from Genesis to Revelation from the beginning to the end, God is doing this. You have the Apostle Paul. He's talking to the church in Galatia. He says something like this. He says, the gospel was preached beforehand. And you look at the reference, you go, what beforehand was the gospel preached? And you go all the way back to the reference, and it's talking about Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, there's a man named Abram. God changes his name to Abraham. God looks at him. Here's what the gospel was. Abraham, I chose you, meaning God's act of grace, not because of race, grace. I've chose you that you will be a blessing, your family, to all the other families. That word families that we have in our Bible, that means ethnicities. It's the same word that we use. He says that I'm going to use your family, work through you, that all the ethnicities will get in on whatever it is that God is doing for the sake of the world. When you fast forward, you see Jesus does that in his life. You see, Jesus' blood is shed in such a way that everybody may be able to get in. You fast forward to the very end of the Bible, and you see every nation and every tribe and every tongue, beginning to worship the Lord. You guys, I'm going to give it to you. You guys are kind of down the road. You ain't, you're not the best in the world, but you're better than where we are in Arizona. <laughs> but there is a sense of many nations and tribes and tongues, just even in this room, sitting under the lordship of Christ. So what we have to give today through the, through the word is not so much of um, something new to you. It's more, God willingly, of an encouragement for whatever it is that God is doing in and through you guys. Amen? Amen. All right. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, and when you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of the flesh and following his desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Okay, okay that's an interesting way to start the sermon off. Then he starts off, Paul, the apostle Paul, who wrote this letter to the church that's in Ephesus. He's talking about God's reconciling power. Chapter 1, he's reconciling heaven and earth. In chapter 2, it's God, the man, and God to each other. And he starts by first saying, here's the condition of the human heart, that every single body, every single person is separated from God because of their sin. He uses the language that says, you are dead in your sins. You are dead. He doesn't say you're kind of dead. He says you are dead in your sins. That means, apart from God, that we do not naturally reach out to a a holy God. Now, you may say, does that mean that that if somebody doesn't believe in Jesus, they're just bad people? No, that's not it at all. That's not even at all to say that we are not all created in the image of God because we are that our value and our dignity is the fact that we are created in the image of God. What Paul is talking about is that apart from God's sovereign, gracious, amazing intervention, you and I are dead to the things of God. That's not good news yet, is it? No, that God has to do something. The way we said it in our churches, uh, chapter two, verses one through three, it tells us that we are naughty by nature. (laughs) Turn to your neighbor and say, naughty by nature. And those of you who laughed, you listened to some 90s (laughs) hip-hop. Those of you who didn't laugh, you don't know why, and it's all good. It is all good. That we are naughty by nature, that we would need for God to be able to do something to us. Okay, continuing here, Paul says something here. It begins to get into this good news. Verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God, okay. Some translations just start off by saying, but God, right? But God, okay. I'm just saying right now, if the church was predominantly chocolate today, when I said, but God, somebody would have said, but God, right? right? Because they're, they're, they're meaning here's where we were, but man, here's where we're going right now. <laughs> and where we're going is that God desired to enter it in. It says, but God, who was rich in mercy, the Bible says about this mercy is that this mercy is new every single day. There's no leftover mercy when it comes to the Lord. It's fresh that when we woke up this morning, even though you got that extra hour of sleep, you woke up to a fresh cup of mercy from the Lord, right? There's a fresh cup of God's deliverance, there's a fresh cup of God's grace and mercy in our life this morning. He says, but God, he was rich in mercy. There's more than enough to go around what he says. When he says that he was rich in mercies, aka his pockets were fat with mercy, that they go deep and they run deep for all who would get in on this. He says, you were dead, but God, continuing here, who was rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It's by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us up with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and it is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. He says, For by grace you have been saved. We got to sit on that grace for just a little bit. For me, when it came to God's grace, I believed that God was good enough to be able to forgive me of my sins, all the sins that I'd committed before I came to Jesus. Did anybody else believe that? I believe that. But I had a very limited understanding of God's grace. Because the way I looked at God's grace, and oftentimes we do when we think about the gospel of Jesus Christ, we think of it this way. Um, Many of us have had friends before um, that have been able to get us an opportunity to get a job, right? And if you haven't, you don't got good friends. You need to get good friends. That's another message. I'll come back. We'll teach on that. Drop your friends. Get new friends. That's going to be the sermon title on that. (laughs) So you have somebody. And usually it goes like this. If I have a friend, and let's just say I have a friend, and his dad owns a, a company, and his dad could hook me up. Now, I don't really know his dad, but he says he's my friend, so I can go to him and say, listen, can your dad get me a job? I'm wildly unqualified for this job. I get that. But can your dad hook me up? My friend goes to his father on behalf. He's like, listen, this is a good friend of mine. I'll take care of it. Can we at least get him in the door? Friend comes back. Ricardo, we got you hooked up, man. And what happens is friend says, now behalf of, because of my relationship with my father and because of my relationship with you, I'm going to get you into the company. Now I got you into the company. Don't mess this up. It's up to you. Don't mess this up. It's going to look bad on me. It's going to look bad on my father. And so you got to figure it out. I feel like sometimes when we think about the gospel, we go, Up until we come to know Jesus Christ, that God's grace covers our sins. That we're so thankful for that amazing grace. How sweet the sound, we say. That I once was lost, but what? Now I'm found. And what happens is when we get this grace, we get, into the, we get into the job and we think now that we're Christians, now we need to work as hard as we can so we don't mess it up, make it look bad for Jesus, make it look bad for the Father. We don't want to be those people. As if somehow grace stopped as soon as we got into the kingdom. But the gospel teaches something far more different than that. That the gospel teaches us that Jesus is, doesn't operate on, the, on that sort of grace, a limited amount of grace. But he says he was rich in mercy for by grace you have been saved. You have been seated up in the heavenly places, he says. He says you are now in Christ as good as you will be in heaven. That's some confidence. This is not like I hope the giants do something with Eli Manning. Right? This is confidence because it's rooted in the work of Jesus Christ. And so you have this sense. In fact, here's what it is. You have the son who says I'm going to get you in because I do love you. And guess what? My father's going to get you in because he loves you as well. And when you get into the job, he doesn't say it's up to you. He says now it's going to be on the job training because I will never leave you nor forsake you. So this grace that we hear and we sing about, we can never get too familiar with God's grace. We can never let it just go over our head to something else. There's nothing else. Right, Oftentimes, before we understand this, we will say things like, since we were dead in our trespasses, and then since God, but God moved, that we would say things like this. You know what people need to do? People need to find God. Or what we say at my church growing, we say, people need to get right with God, right? The reality of it is, um, we don't need to find God. You know why? He's never been lost. (laughs) We were the ones who were lost, and we just happen to have a God who goes looking for us. The question is not Is do you want to find God, do you want to be found? And when you want to be found, God says he chooses, he brings us and is by his grace that we've been saved, that we are a part of his covenant community and that God brings us into his family. And he's a good father. He's not throwing you back. He's saying, I'm going to discipline you because I love you, but you're going to be raised and nurtured through this grace of Jesus Christ. For by grace, we have been saved. Amen. Amen. Some of us needed to hear that today. <laughs> That God's grace is not done with us. We used to sing this song in my church, please be patient with me. Somebody? Amen. God is not through with me yet. <laughs> He's not done. And so here's what we have here that lets us know that God's not done. Verse like one through nine, we hear that sermon preached. Like that's that, that, that vertical understanding, like by grace you have been saved. Like, and usually the sermon ends, we pray, you go home, you say that was good. That pastor preached only in about 20 minutes. It was great. We got things to get to. This was great. But there's so much more to this gospel. In fact, Paul says this in the next verse, verse 10. It says, for we are his handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It says that we are his handiwork, or another word for that, we are his workmanship, as it says in different translations. That God says, I saved you. I got you into this because of my love for you. Like, this is not something you did to earn. I gave it out of a free gift to you. That, that this gift that I've given you is to usher you into my kingdom. But now that you're in my kingdom, I'm still giving you my grace so that you may do some work. That you are his handiwork. That he's skilled. He's gifted. He says, you are the work. You are the workmanship. The Greek word for there is poema, which we get the word rap. All right? Don't say poem in there. It's rap. That's what we get. So you think about this. You think about this, right? You sitting in the subway or you walking down the street, you see people all the time. You get, they, got, they got their earbuds in. And I always wonder, like, what are they listening to? Like, what are they listening to? You got to picture this. Imagine God sitting, give me some slack. Imagine God, he's in the subway. He's got a long ride. He's not, he's going all the way to j- Jamaica, right? He's got a long ride. And he's sitting there and he's like, listen, I ain't trying to be bothered by all of these people. And so he puts his music in. What is God bumping? What it? K-Love. <laughs> If I have more time, I will try to show through theology that he may not be, maybe a little bit. He's bumping the lives of his people collectively living in response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That he's saying right after that, you've been saved by grace, and guess what? There's some work that I have prepared for you. That is that your life lives in harmony with God and with one another with one another, in a way that you take your particular vocations, whatever it is God's called you to, whether you're a plumber or whether you're a pastor, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a stay-at-home mom or dad, whatever it is you do in your occupation or your vocation, that you do so in such a way that begins to resemble and reflect and display the great mercy and grace in which you receive from Jesus Christ. So you hear this sense of going, like, as we do this together, like, like, this is God's poem. This is his rap. This is what he is writing. And what, excuse me. He's writing it through us. This is what he's listening to, to the display of the world that the world may know. Now, at best, we go from this vertical understanding to maybe God's theology of work and faith and work and so forth. But there's another part of this that sometimes we don't really see how they connect. And so we've gone from this vertical gospel now we got to go to the horizontal. We've gone how God has now left the burrow of heaven and come to the messiness of our life to save us. But now in response to that, we have to leave the comfortable burrows of our own lives and be able to get in the messiness of the lives of our neighbor. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm about to get in your mess. And don't say it if you don't mean it. Some of y'all look back at each other like, are you sure? Verse 11. Therefore therefore my pastor used to tell me wherever you see a therefore you have to ask what is the therefore therefore you got to connect it with something it was just about to say meaning whatever was just said about the gospel was connected to whatever is about to be said so when people begin to say that this whole thing of race and reconciliation all those things that's not a gospel issue just preach the gospel you go back and say therefore it happens to be an issue And it has to flow directly from the gospel. Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who called themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenships of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier and dividing wall of hostility by setting it aside in his flesh, the the law with its commands and its regulations. And so here's what's happening here. Paul is talking here about two different groups, Jew and Gentile. Jews were the ethnically, ethnically Jewish people and Gentiles was anybody else. And what you see throughout God's plan for redemption, throughout Genesis to Revelation, there's this unfolding plan, this narrative that has happened, that God, he did choose a people. He chose the people of Israel. But he chose them by grace, not because of race. And in that, he had certain ordinances and promises and commandments. And these particular things were set aside for God's people or anybody who would fear God's people. And he's saying, at that time, in God's plan of redemption, you, speaking of the Gentiles, you were separated from that. But there's a new day now in Christ Jesus. Now, this, 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 this um, illustration came to me yesterday. So we went, me and my wife and my two boys, my oldest son, the one who you guys are going to have, my youngest son. Um, we, were, we were down in uh, Manhattan yesterday. And I made the mistake of I wanted to pack really light, and I forgot my jacket. Yeah, exactly. I only own one anyway. Uh, And we got down to South Ferry uh, to be able to get on the ferry to take a tour around, uh, you know, New York in the the water and freezing. So I was that dude. One thing I like to do when I come to New York, I try not to look like a tourist. I try hard. I try to walk fast. I try to look angry. Right? (laughs) Like I don't like anybody. Like he's from here. Right? So now I'm freezing and my man is over here selling New York sweatshirts. (laughs)
2: And I got, I got to buy one and a beanie.
1: <laughs> so I buy the beanie and whatnot. We get on the ferry, and like I'm the guy who looks like the tourist that says New York, and everyone's like, you're clearly not from here, and I know I'm not, and I actually do like you, and yeah, it's weird. Um, so we're on there, and he begins, the tour guide, who was amazing, begins to talk about Ellis Island, and we go around Ellis Island. Now, I remember learning about Ellis I- Island in school. I, never, I heard about the stories of those who got in. I didn't hear about the stories of those who didn't. And clearly, when you begin to hear these stories, those were those who were in and there were those who were out. There were those whose stories we can celebrate and those whose stories we can only lament. What Paul is saying here is that there used to be a time where there were those who were in and there were those who were out, that there were Jews and there were Gentiles. But the gospel is not that Jesus becomes to be Ellis Island but that Jesus comes to do something far more different. That he says that anybody who wants to come, that he becomes the way. And it's not necessarily if you are able-bodied or not able-bodied. You could be black, white, Jew, or Gentile. You could be old or young. Have, have not. All you need is need. And that Jesus becomes the way, the truth, the light, the salvation for anybody who would want to get into the kingdom of God. He says this particular case, he says, you who were far away, you who were near, neither one of you got it. That you didn't come to know God just for being Jew, and you did not know God just for being a Gentile. That the only way that you come to know the Father is through the body of Jesus Christ. Through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, his sending of the Spirit, that we may now be one. It doesn't mean that you lose who you are. It doesn't mean that you lose your culture. It doesn't mean that you lose your identity. It just becomes something far more different and far more better in the work and through the work of Jesus Christ. Amen? He says, I'm taking these two, and I'm actually making them one, is what he talks about. There was something else on this tour. We were able to hear the history of Wall Street, right? And particularly that um, the way the tour guide said it, if he was wrong, go blame the tour dude and um, get my money back too, um, that the Dutch, the Dutch people got here first, and then they, they got into it with the Native Americans that were here they didn't get along because of the Crips and the Bloods. They just didn't do well, right? And so what happened is the Dutch, they built a wall. And they built this wall for protection and so forth. And then the way the story goes is that the British men and women came. And the British came and they they made allies, according to this guy, with the Native Americans. Now, that may be a different story, but they made allies. And then they kind of took care of the Dutch. And then what they said to that wall, they said, we're going to break down this wall. And now that's where we have the name, or you guys have the name, Wall Street. What we have here is that There was a literal wall and then the spiritual metaphorical wall that Paul says here that Christ tears down in its hostility. Um, In in the synagogue, there were places to worship for the Jewish men and women and so forth, and there was just an order of which it happened. And then there was a wall for those who were God-fearing Gentiles, like those who believed in God, but they were not Gentiles. Excuse me, they were not Jewish. And they had a wall, and on the inscription of that wall that they found is that there was something, to paraphrase it, that said, it is up to you for your death if you were to cross this wall. That you are not able, you were not allowed, in some ways you are not welcomed over here. Let's worship God separately. Can I just talk to us like we friends? Oh, yes. When I first became a Christian, I started stepping in the churches. It seems like that's what churches were doing. Let's get a black church over here, which is fine. Let's get a white church over here, which is fine. Let's get a Korean church over here. Let's even name it Korean church just in case people were confused <laughs> right and i'm not even hear me i'm not even saying that that's wrong it just seemed that that was my experience it seems that you can actually do that and hear me i'm not even indicting those church churches at all I'm not even close that you can do that if you preach only a vertical gospel But the only way to do what you guys are trying to do is to actually, in the ways that Christ has laid down his life, to be able to lay down your life in such a way to get in each other's lives. And that is always going to be messy. And sometimes pastors can say messy because it's what you say. No, 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 it's messy. You're constantly offending. You're constantly saying something you shouldn't have said. You're saying this started on time. I said it was going to start on this time. You said it starts when we get here. There's all sorts of things. That There there, there are certain things that you have, and it's not just ethnically that that we need to get in each other's lives, right? Sometimes we, those of us who have education, sometimes look down upon those who don't. How do we actually get together? Or socioeconomically, that we may have more than others. How do we get together in non-pejorative ways? Or, dare I say, in the body of Christ, that there's Democrats and Republicans that somehow find their oneness in Christ Jesus, See no amens. <laughs> you was tracking with me, but the gospel makes it harder. It makes it messy. Now I said this at the last service. I'm a guest speaker. I can say whatever I want. If you guys, if you guys get upset with me, you can always email Pastor Rich. Right? I'm gonna go home. I'm gonna get an airplane and be like, <laughs> blew that church up. Right? <sighs> so you 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 have this of going. There's oneness in the gospel, but not sameness. All right, because I, I, I got a little bit more time here. This, this wrecked me. What happens oftentimes if you, when you only get the, I'm going to just use my personal experience, the vertical understanding of the gospel. I became a Christian and I jumped into a church that I felt like was preaching the Bible. And it was a predominantly white church. Fast forward, predominant culture, white church. Fast forward, when issues start surrounding the lost lives of African-American males, when, when issues started arising on different things like immigration, which, by the way, is a big deal in Arizona. I don't know if you've ever heard about Arizona and our great stuff there. <laughs> what happened is when, when people of color began to bring these issues to the gospel, we were told, whoa, 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 these are not gospel issues. I realized something in my own life. I felt like it was like when I moved to college, I had too much luggage and I got to Southwest and they said, you can only take these bags. And I looked at my mom, I'm like, okay, which one of these bags I'm going to keep? This bag has to go back home. I love that stuff, but it's got to stay because my destination was to go to college, play football and so forth. When I came to the Jesus, my destination was just give me the gospel. I guess I'll leave this luggage behind. And you know what you realize? That wasn't your luggage. It was your story. And somehow many of us are trying to get that story and we're trying to catch up and we're trying to have some sort of um, way forward that doesn't find ourselves outside of the gospel. But the gospel in itself begins to bring life to our experiences because it's the way in whom God has made us and it's what God is using us to be his workmanship. Paul says the gospel breaks down dividing walls. It's going to be difficult when we worship together and we do life together. The symbols that we have to know this is a bloody cross and an empty tomb. Jesus says, follow me. Into the world and into the life of others. Let me go ahead and land this plane here. He says this, continuing, verse 16, and in one body he reconciled both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father and one spirit. Here's what Paul is saying. That when he tore down that wall, he brought us together. And he says he created a new humanity. It literally means new society. This is not upgraded. He didn't say there were some things that were broken then I fixed it. Think about a car that you drive, right? There's certain make and models of a car and there's a new one that comes out that has better stuff on it. This is not the better version. This is not a new iOS. This is not plug your phone in overnight. We're going to make it better but somehow make it worse. This is not that. This is saying something of its kind. So in our particular day, politically, racially, emotionally, economically, we are finding that the two narratives, the two narratives we have is to be really over here or really over there. That the gospel just doesn't bring something in the middle. It brings something completely new and other. That if we're going to see a way forward and that the world will see a way forward, we don't have to create anything. We have to begin to believe and live into and trust what God has already created through the body of Jesus Christ, by the gospel of Jesus Christ, for the people and for the sake of the world. Amen. That when we are collectively doing that, humbling ourselves to God's grace, we offer an alternative that nothing else can have, that nothing in the world can offer. And it's one that is fueled not by our our political parties, it's not fueled not by our cultural narratives, it's not fueled by our past, our present, our future, it's fueled, sustained, and guided by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? We all have access, one access. <laughs> access, access in itself is about opportunity. That we all have access to the Holy Spirit of God's unlimited grace, His fresh mercy, and His love to realize that we are made right with God vertically, but we're also now doing the work of being right and one and reconciled horizontally. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, I thank you and we thank you because you were gracious to us. We will never figure this out. We will never get it right. We thank you that you will figure it out for us in Christ. You will get it right through us in Christ. Pour out your spirit in ways that we may worship with one voice, that we may be that song, that poem, that sings to the world of the great grace in which we've received that we may understand the access of the power we have, not from the power of the things that are in this world, but a power that comes only from the kingdom of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you would continue to pour out your blessing upon this church, that they would continue to be a witness of your kingdom, an outpost of the gospel here in Queens. Jesus, may your kingdom come in this community as it is in heaven. In Christ's name, amen.
0: Amen. Thank God for Ricardo. Such a good word. Such a powerful word. Such a powerful word. And all this time, I thought I preached fast. I mean, you guys should be thanking God for Ricardo, showing how slow I preach here. Um, Let's have those who are coming to the table. We're going to have communion. There's no better way to to end a service like this than to take communion together. And so, those who are going to be coming to the tables, I want to invite you, whether in the balcony, whether down here in the back of our this room here, to come uh, set up here. When we take communion, we are fleshing out in very practical, tangible terms everything that Ricardo just preached. There's one meal. There's not a meal for this group of people and a meal for that group of people. There's not one table for this type of people and that type of people. There's one table, one Lord, one bread, one cup. And when we take bread and we dip it in a cup, we are saying, Lord, in the way that you were poured out, broken and poured out for the sake of the world, for the reconciliation of the world, for the renewal of all things, when we take communion... We're not just focusing on the vertical relationship with God. We're saying, Lord, may this bread and cup be embodied in my life as I work for the reconciliation of the world. And so I want to invite you to stand for a moment. And for those of you who belong to Jesus Christ, for those of you who have said yes to him, you're welcome to come to the table. And when you come to the table, take bread, dip it in the cup, go back to your seat, and I'll come back and I'll lead us to take it together. But let's pray this prayer of confession and the ushers will will lead you together. Almighty God, our heavenly Father, we have sinned against you through our own faults, in thought, in word, in deed, in what we have done, in what we have left undone. For the sake of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, Forgive us all our offenses and grant that we may serve you in newness of life to the glory of your name. Amen. Please come forward and I'll lead us together.
2: There's nothing worth more that could ever-
0: The Apostle Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As the people of God forgiven and renewed in Jesus, let's all take together. Let's have the prayer team come forward. And as they come, let's sing that chorus one more time. Jesus Christ has forgiven us, restored us to the Father, caused us to be reconciled to ourselves, but we need the power of the Holy Spirit to do it. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So let's sing this chorus out one more time. Let's let it saturate our souls, help us to configure and reconfigure our imaginations to fill us with the Spirit. Let's sing that together.
2: Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what I've longed for. To be overcome by
0: your presence. Let's lift our hands in the air. One more time, sing that through. In order to live out what Ricardo preached so powerfully and passionately about, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to do it. We close every gathering with prayer because when we pray for one another, there is a unique release of the Spirit's power. There is an anointing that's present when we pray for one another. Uh, Some of you came in here today, you're tired, you're exhausted, you feel run down by life, you need a... You need to be refreshed today. And maybe you just need to come forward for prayer. For, those, for some of you in this room, you can't be fully reconciled to people unless you've been reconciled to God first. Some of you, you're not even a Christian. You've never said yes to Jesus. You've never crossed this, the line of faith to say, I'm, I'm trusting in him for the forgiveness of sins. I'm trusting in him for life eternal. I want to follow him. And some of you, maybe you've been coming to church, but you've never said yes to Jesus. And in the ways that he's rescued my life, rescued Ricardo's life, rescued so many lives in this room, he wants to rescue you. He wants to fill you with his life, forgive you of your sins. And if you've come to a point where you said, you know what, I've never done that. Our prayer team is here. We'd love to pray for you. Lay hands on you, anoint you with oil as a sign of God's presence on your life. And for whatever needs you have, whatever burden you're carrying, whatever sickness you're struggling with, our prayer team is here as long as we need to, to pray for you. Ricardo will be downstairs in the lobby area, so if you want to just shake his hand and just thank God for his ministry and his, his teaching, you can do that downstairs. But as we close, I want to invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. If you're watching online, you can open your hands in this posture as well. And the reason we close every gathering with blessing is because the world is full of cursing. We walk out of the house of God knowing that the love of Jesus, the grace of the Father, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with you, and we cannot give what we have not received. And So this, our hands are in a posture of receiving, say, Lord, would you give me? Not that I may keep it for myself, but that I may offer it to the world around me. And So with your hearts and your hands in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you. And may he keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. May you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness to the new family of Jesus, to something that the world has never seen before. May your life be marked by the power of God, by the grace of God. And may you be God's workmanship in the world. God has prepared good works for you already. May you enter into those works, demonstrating the life of Jesus. I bless you all today in the strong, in the beautiful, in the reconciling name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Go in peace.